Our scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. One uh, weird note is that um, this what we had printed in the in the worship guide is um, the New International Version translation, the NIV. Um, I prepared out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. So some of my wording may be a little different, um, but the original wording is all the same, thankfully. Uh, so um, if there's some differences and things like that, just know that. Um, we have been uh, working our way through Ephesians over the last few weeks, and we will continue to do this for a few months. Uh, we are calling this sermon series Rooted because we believe that we as a church and as a people need to be rooted in Christ's love. This language comes from Ephesians 3.17 where Paul says that I pray that you would be rooted and grounded in Christ's love. This is a way for us to become mature. This is a way for us to grow up in our faith and in our life as well. Eugene Peterson in his book on Ephesians entitles it Practice Resurrection. And that's what Ephesians is encouraging us to do. What Paul is encouraging us to do in this book is to practice the resurrection life here and now. And as I've encouraged you to do, I will continue to do so. One of the ways that we can be rooted and grounded in Christ's love is to be rooted and grounded in his words. So it is not merely enough for us to just read or to hear uh, the word of God on a Sunday morning. This is I typically go about half an hour. That is not enough food for us to sustain our lives over the course of the week. So I'd encourage you to read, read a chapter a day, um, and to be able to get God's word into you and to get you into God's word as well. If you read a chapter of a day of Ephesians, you can get through the whole book in a week and you get a day off even. What of a grace is that that God gives us to be able to do that? So I'd encourage you to read through Ephesians as well. Last week, Nick um, preached from the passage previous to this, verses uh, 15 through 23 of chapter 1, and told us to be able to, to encourage us to have a prayerful life, to be praying, to be in communion with God. One of the ways that I practice that um, is through walking. 
So I love to get up in the morning. I, don't, I shouldn't say I love to get up in the morning, but I love to get out when I do finally get up in the morning to get out and take a walk walk the neighborhood, to be able to slow down, to uh, not start the day off rushing and feeling behind, but to have that space there. Walking uh, becomes somewhat of a spiritual discipline for me. During that time, I take time to pray. I take time to notice the different things that are that are happening that have changed in the neighborhood as well, to see all the new for sale signs, to see the sold signs on those for sale signs, which typically is put out on a Monday, um, to see, to be reminded when the garbage and the trash has not been picked up, um, to see that those dogs aren't sitting at that window or that door anymore. I wonder what has happened there. That person's yard is very well taken care of. That person's yard used to be but isn't anymore. I wonder what's happening there. To be able to pray for my friends, to be able to pray for my neighborhood, to be able to pray for you and for me as well. Walking isn't the most efficient way of getting around, though. If I have something to do, I will hop in the car, even if it's to run up to Whole Foods or to King Supers here in the neighborhood. It is about a 20-minute walk up there, but it's about two minutes in the car. Um, You can get there much quicker. Walking isn't efficient. It's often not productive. It's not something that we do to get something done necessarily. But it's something to have, um, we do it, I do it, at least to have something done to me to slow down, to notice, instead of rushing through life. Walking is the basic movement of our life. They say one of the best things that you can do as you get older is to walk every day. But in Greek, it's also used as a metaphor for life. Throughout our passage here, we see that Paul says, We walked once in the course of this world. And that God makes good works for us to be able to walk in them as well. Where we walk and how we walk is just as important as walking in itself. What path do you walk? What does your life look like? Do you set your own path? Are you trying to strike out on your own and make it in this wild world that we live in? Or are you following the course that is set before you that some, maybe somebody else has been laying out for you, for good or for evil, that, that we, our paths take many courses to them? One of the paths that I want us to notice, especially in this passage this morning is the gospel path, the path that God would have for us. And it's really one that is marked by grace and by mercy. As Paul says, God is rich in mercy and his love towards us. A really easy summary of the gospel is this. You are more broken than you think you are, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. You are more broken, you are more sinful, you are more uneased in your life. Your life is more disordered than you even think it is. But God loves you more than you could even imagine. It goes beyond anything that you could dream of. See, Paul here in this passage in particular talks about our path and what our life looks like when we go about it on our own. But he also shows us God's path for our life, and he tells us God has a gift on that path as well. So let's look at our path, God's path, and God's gift to us. Our path. Verses 1 through 3, again, I'll read it from um, uh, my my Bible. (laughs) 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Sin brokenness, death, following the course of the prince of this world, disobedient, following our passions, our desires, uh, being children of wrath, which could either mean that we are the ones uh, perpetuating the wrath or we are the ones receiving the wrath of God in this passage as well. This is not usually how we think of ourselves, um, that we are sinful, that we are broken, um, that even if in the ways in which we lived before. One of the things that I want us to notice in this passage, though, is the complete absence of the mention of God. Up to this point, I don't think there is a verse or a phrase even that goes by that Paul doesn't refer to God, to Christ, to the Spirit of God as well. And here, for the first time, we have these three verses that are completely absent of God. Paul is saying that we, when we lived in our former ways of life, we focused on our selves fully and completely we did whatever was good to us we followed our own desires our own satisfactions our own um uh, what is the the niv here that we have here was great um the uh gratifying the cravings of our flesh i love i love the way that's translated there um, that we focus on ourselves in this place. This is the former way of living, Paul says, um, which uh, maybe sometimes it's still a bad habit that we need to break. Maybe we go back to that as well. He says that we follow the prince of the air. This, the word spirit in Greek is the same word for wind. There's a futility to it, a meaninglessness of the life that we used to live when we lived our lives for ourselves. One of the ways that um, I would be able to get out and walk uh, when I lived in Chicago in the middle of the winter was to get on a treadmill. Um, treadmills are one of the most useless pieces of equipment out there, though it allows us to be able to do that. But when we think about running and moving and walking and going somewhere, you can run for an hour or two on a treadmill, and you are literally in the same place as you were when you got on it. You didn't move at all as far as traveling over any distance. That is what Paul is saying here. This way of life doesn't move us, doesn't go any deeper. It lives on the surface level of life, just garnering things for ourselves and building ourselves up. I think it's really hard for us to see us in this place, though. Even if we say this is where we used to live, if you are like me, maybe you grew up in a Christian home, and you've, there, you've never known a day where you didn't have a relationship with Christ Maybe you do are able to look back on a life that, and there's a stark change though as well from where you live, but you wouldn't ever say that you were dead, that you were just gratifying the cravings of your own flesh. You wouldn't use words like disobedient and wrath, but that's what Paul says to us. Because remember, you are more disordered, more broken than you think you are dead. 
There's a lot of shame that we carry around. There's a lot of anxiety that we have. And in doing so, following our own path, we look at how we can grab at control in our lives. The truth is we are not in control. So many parts of our lives are out of control that no matter how much we try, that we work, that we kind of stir up what is going on in our lives, that we will not have control. One of the things that I want us to do here at the table is acknowledge that we are not in control, but also to be a place where people can come and be out of control. A place where you can come and you can ask your questions, where you can wonder about who God is, you can wonder about what the church is, you can wonder about who you are and where you are on your faith journey, because we're all on a journey. So it doesn't matter that if you grew up in a Christian home and have never known a day where you did not, you were not in a relationship with Christ, or if you have seen a stark place where God has entered into your life and changed how you live and who you are. We are all on a journey, and God is watching over us. He is with us in that. We want to be a part of that journey with you and for you here in this place. Our path that we go down, Paul says, is one of disorder, of brokenness, of death. We acknowledge that. We understand that here at the table, but we don't want that to be the end of your story either. See, God gives us a path to walk on as well. We don't have to walk our own path. Look at verses 4 through 7. It reads a little bit different um, in my uh, translation here, and it's incredibly stark. It's one of my favorite, favorite verses in all of Scripture. Paul writes, But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. But God. It's not the end of your story that you are children of wrath, either perpetuating it or receiving it. It's not the end of your story that you were dead, that there was nothing more to live for, that you were living for yourself. But God. It's not the end of your story because God interrupts. God acts. He enters the scene and he gives life where there is no life. In contrast to these first three verses, we have instead of death, instead of trespasses, instead of following that which is fleeting and meaningless, we see the contrast of being alive in Christ, raised up with Christ, seated with Christ, this heavenly reality coming to bear on our lives here. This is not fleeting. This is secure. This is not lost This is hopeful. This is not earned. This has been given to you. It can't be taken away. 
all of these verse, all of these verbs here uh, that we have listed, even into the next section here. But we have uh, with which God loved us when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. You have been saved, raised us up, seated us with Him in the heavenly places, so that He can show His loving kindness for grace. You have been saved. All of these verbs are simple past tense verbs. They are done actions. They can't be taken away. They are a gift and they have happened already for you. This is how we are in Christ. This is how we have our life in him. And we are not merely uh, participants, excuse me, we are not merely reaping the benefits of these actions, but we are participating in them. We are alive. We are raised up. We are no longer dead. We have been raised with Christ. As Christ went up to the heavens and sat down, his work is done, and our work has been done for us as well. We can have rest. We can acknowledge that someone else is in control. We don't have to to run on anxiety anymore in this life. God has done the work for us in Christ in Christ here is used five times in this passage that all the work that God has done for us has been done in Christ. Uh, Robert Tannehill, as a theologian, has this small but incredibly powerful little book called Dying and Rising with Christ. And when he talks about this passage, he says, Christ's death and resurrection are not merely events that produce benefits for the Christian but are events in which the Christian participates. So it's not metaphorical, but it's not literal either, but it is reality. We have been raised uh, from the dead. We are alive in Christ. We are seated with Christ even now in the heavenly reality. This is, again, kind of a challenging uh, mind shift for us. But the Avs won the Stanley Cup. And to say that we participated in that might feel like a bit of an overstatement, right? No, none of us, to my knowledge, and let me know if you were, but none of us were on the ice with them. I don't know that any of us even went to a game. We didn't even go to a game all season, but we watched it on TV. Many of us uh, rejoiced in that and celebrated that. We uh, were happy when they won. There were 500,000 people downtown on Friday, many people on Thursday even. What was that, like two days after they won, already were wearing their Stanley Cup shirts and hats around. We participate in that. We weren't on the ice. We didn't coach. We didn't didn't even go to a game, but we participate in them being the Stanley Cup champions. It's the same for us in Christ. We didn't raise ourselves from the dead. We were dead. We were in coffins. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that will take away the salvation that God has worked in you, the life that he is giving to you. He has raised us up with Christ. He has seated us with him so that we can know how great God's mercy is for us. By grace, you have been saved. Grace is one of those concepts that is so... Um, 
it's one of those words that's so hard to explain. And as soon as you begin to explain it, it loses all its power. So I'm going to explain it. Um, the grace is a complete, undeserving, loving commitment of God to us. It's a completely undeserved, loving commitment. There's nothing that we have done. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were dead in our disorder. We were living by in the fuel of our own anxiety, but God gave himself to us in the person of Christ Jesus. As I said, Paul uses the phrase with Christ or in Christ five times in these three verses, these four verses here, God gives us Christ's life. It's kind of like swimming. It's like moving through the water. It's there. You know when you're in it, and you're not really doing anything. You're just moving your hands back and forth, but it moves you through life, and it infuses your life. We need water to live, and this is grace that we have. The reality is that we are in constant need of it because we return to those old ways of self all the time. We think, oh, you know what? I can do it by myself this time. And then it fails once again. And so we come back to God. And what God is saying is by grace you have been saved, that I love you. I will not abandon you. I am in full commitment to you. Again, this is one of those overwhelming truths of the gospel that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. I don't know that we will ever fully grasp this. I think that's why it's a walk, why it's a journey, why it's a way of life that we are in uh, with God. This is completely opposite of all our other relationships in our lives, whether it's our parents where we have to obey in order to earn their love, whether it's our work in which we have to perform and able to earn a paycheck or to advance through our lives, even, dare I say with my wife in the room, even marriage is not fully based on grace. We have grace. We practice grace, but we have to be committed to one another. God says, I am committed to you even when you are not committed to me. I will pursue you. I pursued you in your death. I pursued you as you followed your own ways. I pursued you to the depths of your being, and I will continue to do that. Here we see God loves us because he acted to love us despite our brokenness and often in spite of of our brokenness. God's grace is with us, but God, he interrupts. He shows us a new way of living, and in doing so, he gives us the gift, the gift of faith. Look at verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved. Paul picks up that phrase again and kind of, he's like, this is so important. I have more to say on this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. For by grace you have been, faith, have been saved. God gives us the gift of faith. It's, again, it's not something that we have done, but it's something that God works into us. Faith is a gift. It's how we receive God's grace. What God is saying, what Paul is saying here, is that this faith, the way that we live in relationship with God is through faith. His faithfulness to us 
as well as our faithfulness to him. And it's a covenant relationship. Covenant is kind of one of those old uh, Old Testament biblical words, and we really only use it when we talk about marriage. It is a contract. It is a legal document. And God says, I bind myself to you so that you know how much I love you, how much I will be faithful to you through Christ Jesus. This is a relationship you where you get to learn to trust me, where you can put your faith in me, where you can test me. We can bring our, our cares and our concerns to God because he is committed to us. It's not just blindly be leading along. It's not becoming a robot for God, but it is a relationship. It is responsive. It is questions and answers. It is growing in our faith as he demonstrates our, his faith to us. Faith is one of the ways that heaven gets into us. Oftentimes we, think we, can, we have made the mistake in the church of saying that being saved gets you into heaven. But no, being saved, letting God do his work in us now, is heaven getting into us now. As Eugene Peterson said, it's the ability to practice resurrection life here and now. Being caught up in the reality of God and participating in the life of Christ, right? Salvation is not for works, but it's is not um, from works, but it's for good works. God has prepared things for us. He has made us in his image so that we can reflect that. Again, this contrasts verses one through three. When we live for ourselves, God is now saying, you live unto me and I am creating you. I'm giving you certain gifts and abilities to be able to live for other people as well, to lay down your life and take up mine. God, uh, Paul is saying in this passage that our lives are to be a container for grace and mercy in this world. And this makes you beautiful. There's a word here that Paul uses when he says you are God's workmanship. Workmanship is the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem. You are God's poem. Uh, one guy, uh, Ryan Diaz, a writer, defines poems as the ability to speak to the heart and discern what is hidden beneath the subtext of life. God, in making us his poem, gives us the ability to speak. He, he speaks to our hearts and what we long for more than anything else. Love, relationship, belonging, knowing that we're going to screw it up over and over again, but he is faithful to us. He is committed to us to make us beautiful. It's not an instant process. It happens over time. Writing poetry is not an instant process. It's one that takes time. It's, it's being deliberate with words and how they're, they are structured and put together, but it speaks to the subtext of life. It's not just living on the surface of life anymore, but it's going much deeper than those things that we can, we can take pictures of and put on social media. It's going deeper than um, the facade of having a nice house in a nice neighborhood. It's God working his grace and mercy in our lives. Poems' purposes are for beauty, and God's purpose, God's desire for you is to be 
beautiful. This changes how we live. This changes how we use our money. It changes how we use sex. It changes how we use power, right? Money becomes something, a tool that we can bless people with rather than amassing a materialistic um, storage uh, facilities worth of goods that we can decorate our lives with. Sex creates unions and it's sharing our lives with one another. It's no longer just for our own individualistic pleasure, but it it allows us to be committed to one another. It becomes an act in which we show our commitment to one another in the covenant of marriage. Power, which we hear a lot of right now, the abuse of power is no longer to subjugate or to build yourself up. But we can use power, we can use our voices, we can use our strength, our grace that God has given us to advocate for those who are not able to advocate for themselves, to lift them up, to give them life, to make them poems in their places as well. God creating us into poems places us into community. It reminds us that we don't have to do this life on our own anymore. Paul switches from in this passage from saying you, you, you to us, us, us. We are part of a community where we can practice forgiveness, where we can lean on other people's wisdoms in challenging times and that we can be caught up in the triune life of God as well. God puts his life into us when we put ourselves into his community and life. Like I said, the challenge is that we want to figure it out on our own. Culture tells us that we need to figure it out on our own, and we often fall back into old patterns, the old habits of our lives, going back to our own ways, which is why we constantly are in need of Jesus. John, the author of the Gospel of John, says that Jesus was the Word of God, the one who displayed the full beauty of God, God's true poem. So we can return to him, to return to the grace, the fidelity, the faithfulness that he has to us in raising us from the dead, making us alive with him and seating us so that we no longer have to churn, so that we no longer have to wonder about what our life looks like, but that we can have life in him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we um, can come to you that you are faithful to forgive us, that we can see that in the person of Christ and how you have loved us, Lord. Help us to remember that. Help us to find our communion and grace in that, Lord. Interrupt our lives. Cause us to stop and pause what we are doing when we are trying to do it on our own, when we are trying to grasp for control, when anxiety is the fuel that we are living on, Lord. Help us to see your grace and mercy and love. Help us to know how much you love us. Remind us of your grace in Christ. Help us to live in the power of your Holy Spirit and to lean on you and the community that you put us in. Help us to remember that we are not alone. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.